In November 2022, the World Health Organization renamed monkeypox to Mpox. This was in order to fight stigmatization surrounding the name. Combating shame and stigma surrounding Mpox is one of the primary goals of this series. As this was recorded prior to this change, this episode will feature references to the original name. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Heads up. This episode of What the Pox talks about adult themes, including sex and uses strong language. Monkeypox. We're talking about it without shame and stigma. Exactly because so many people feel this way about it. And I was one of them. When I was super sick, yes, I was in pain and feeling really under the weather. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was telling people. I couldn't put my finger on why, though. I knew in my rational brain that I'd done nothing wrong. But I couldn't shake this feeling. For the longest time, I couldn't figure it out. And then it hit me. I grew up in the 90s, in the shadow of HIV, and hearing all of the things people had said about that. All of the things they had associated with gay people, and for that matter, gay sex. The shame I was feeling wasn't because I'd done something that had caused an impact on myself, but more what it meant for others. I felt like I'd lived up to every stereotype people with homophobic views had ever said about LGBTQ plus people, and specifically, gay men. I'd given them exactly what they wanted. When I started to produce this series, I was really nervous. Not because I was talking about myself or the condition or even that I was going to be discussing sex, but because of the shame I felt around those topics. Shame I'd internalized from the world around me, not because I'm ashamed. And this feeling is one so many queer people have picked up. So just what the pox can we do about it? It is temporary. Above all else, that is what I remember that got me through it. We need to make sure that gay and bisexual men have access to the vaccine. What I'm seeing a lot in the media are quite stigmatizing messages. If people were always you know, doing exactly the right thing, then there'd be no STIs ever in the world. It does beg the question, if this was affecting heterosexual white people, maybe wouldn't be in this situation potentially. It is the job of a sexual health doctor, of an infectious disease doctor, to give people the ability to have the type of sex that they like with as low a risk as possible of infectious disease. Welcome back to What the Pox, the podcast discussing monkeypox without shame or stigma. In this episode, we're going to be discussing just that, shame and stigma. Not only shame and stigma surrounding monkeypox, but the shame and stigma surrounding sex, and more specifically, queer sex. 
growing up in our society, you know, where we constantly hear negative things about being gay, bi, queer, whatever, whatever it is in whichever way that you might identify. It's a really significant number of us internalise those negative words and expressions and, and internalise it as a form of kind of toxic shame and makes us not feel very good about ourselves. That's Matthew Todd, former editor of Attitude magazine and author of Straight Jacket a guide to overcoming society's legacy of gay shame. There's a kind of narrative that, you know, you come out and everything's fine and it's all done and dealt with, but actually, even when you come out, if you haven't dealt with that stuff, it can still affect you into later life. It certainly did with me. You know, I was drinking too much and depressed and had an anxiety disorder. Um, and I think that's a very common thing. You know, we know for, for sure that LGBT people have uh, statistically higher levels of depression, addiction, body image disorders, suicide ideation, unfortunately, lots of really horrible things. And I think it's, you know, it's people who experience things in their, you know, homophobia and prejudice in their day to day lives still. But I think a, a huge amount of that is about what we go through growing up and the, and the kind of that, that legacy of, of gay shame. This legacy of gay shame and the impacts of how this presents can come out in a number of ways. When you absorb feelings that you're not good enough growing up, it kind of manifests in adulthood as essentially not feeling very good about yourself, low self-esteem, and sometimes anxiety and sometimes depression. And that manifests as a way of trying to cope with that by using drugs and alcohol and sex, sometimes food, sometimes controlling behavior, sometimes using porn too much, sometimes living in a fantasy world, being obsessed with, you know, it could be people, could be romantic relationships, or sometimes I think this is a very common thing. Certainly, was for me being obsessed with, say, my favorite pop star. There's nothing wrong with liking pop music or pop stars, but I think this is a very common thing for me. I was obsessed from the age of sixteen with Madonna. I mean, it wasn't just love; I was a fan, absolutely obsessed. So, so, so clearly, some of those things are not as bad as others. It's not the end of the world if you're obsessed with a pop star. It's about whenever those behaviours, be it drugs, alcohol, drink, whatever, when it gets too much and starts negatively impacting on your life. These things that Matthew talks about are things that I've definitely felt in myself, and I've definitely heard them from other friends in the LGBTQIA plus community. HIV and AIDS was is still this enormous thing that we still live with today and still affects our lives. I think for people of my generation, I mean, of course, the actual people who are out and you know directly being affected by HIV and AIDS, you know, people who who had HIV and were dying of AIDS, obviously it was absolutely devastating. But I think the the kind of mental health impact, I think, in some ways, was more pronounced for people who were growing up like my generation were during the 80s when, so for instance, I was 10 in 1983. And so just at that time where I'm realizing I'm gay and in the newspapers, all it is is this kind of narrative about gay equals HIV equals AIDS equals death. And that's all you read in the newspapers from that period on and through to, to the late 80s and, and even further. But I think that specific period between 83, 89, 90 was just absolutely horrendous because everything you heard about gay people just was gay men are disgusting perverts who catch AIDS. They're all going to die of AIDS. They want to spread AIDS to other people. I mean, it was just horrendous. And this kind of constant narrative, you know, they were outing people, judges, actors. You know, it's weird talking about it now because, you know, when someone comes out now, it's a, you know, it's a pretty positive thing. But then it was like this kind of badge of shame. I think probably, you know, there's a young, you know, younger generation, it's clearly, clearly different now, but I still think, you know, that the lingering effect of the shame that was inflicted on us when HIV and AIDS uh, 
kind of emerged is still something we we live with today. You know, I've got friends who are HIV positive who still now, even though they're on medication, life-saving medication, which means they should, you know, will have the same lifespan as anybody else, they still sometimes feel that shame that connects to that that period where the press were basically portraying gay people as gay men, specifically as public enemy number one. It's hard not to look at something like monkeypox and see the parallels between the HIV epidemic in the 80s. For many of us, it's clear that the response then has played a huge part in how the world sees queer people today. As this was happening, a life-changing piece of legislation came into effect that would change everything. On the 24th of May, 1988, Section 28 came into effect. Margaret Thatcher's conservative government at the time brought in the legislation. It stated that schools and public authorities shall not intentionally promote homosexuality or publish material with the intention of promoting homosexuality. Even the use of the word homosexuality instead of gay is icky. Because at the time, homosexuality was still a medically classified disease by the World Health Organization. And the impact Section 28 had on a generation of queers, it can still be felt today. Um, well, that, that was that was huge because we had that law uh, for 15 years before it was repealed. But it was a very confused piece of legislation, but it had a really it kind, of, kind of had this kind of like freezing effect on everybody because it meant that because teachers were so confused, they just didn't know what they could say or what they couldn't say. And they were worried that if, for instance, a kid came to them at school and said, I'm being bullied, big, people are calling me gay or whatever, or I am gay that they couldn't give, they felt they couldn't give support and advice because they might be breaking the law. So they were very nervous and, and very scared. And even, you know, when I was researching Straightjacket, you know, which was like 2012, 2013, I'd sometimes speak to teachers who didn't know that Section 28 had been repealed, didn't know that it were, that they what they could talk about and what they couldn't talk about. So I think, again, it was this another, another awful thing where it kind of froze our experience at schools and meant that we, you know, again, just this idea that you just couldn't express yourself. You couldn't be who you were because if you were, you were kind of doing something dangerous, possibly illegal. So it just was really, really damaging. And like you say, people like yourself, you know, grew up right in in the middle of that. On the 24th of May, 1988, when this came into power is a big day for me. It was the day I was born. This meant that my entire school life, I was blocked from receiving information about who I was. When we were receiving sexual health lessons in school, I wasn't getting information that would probably have really helped with my own development. And the other thing that came out of it? Secrecy. The idea that being gay was taboo. Talking about gay things and anything related to our lives was something that should not be discussed. Is it any wonder that when we come into contact with things like monkeypox, This comes back to the forefront of our minds. After all, school didn't give us the tools to discuss and to protect ourselves, while teaching us to be silent about our lives, that we were not, quote, unquote, normal. Like, I was in bed for, what, 10 or 11 days, like, feeling really rubbish. And I was just like, oh, like... I'm going to have to tell my mum and dad, but I was super nervous about it. I don't don't really know why. Like, my parents are very, like, liberal, like, nice, 
supportive parents, I was just really nervous about it. That's Connor Mackis. He's a PhD student and a teacher at the University of Bristol. My PhD is literally in global health, so I should feel absolutely fine in telling my PhD supervisors that. But I was still nervous, like, oh my God, like, what are they going to think of me? Um, And then friends as well. It was quite nerve-wracking telling people. It's a weird one. Um, I guess it's that, like, internalised shame that we carry. Um, Going back to sex, that internalised shame of, like, oh my God, like, it's dirty, it's somehow bad it's an illness in the same way that any other thing is an illness why did I feel shame or like gross about having that I wouldn't feel bad if I had the flu it's like I shouldn't feel shame just because I've picked up an illness by doing stuff with another guy like that's it it harps back to that shame and that like dirtiness around like gay sex This idea of being dirty and these ideas we have learnt growing up can have a huge effect on us. But one of the joys of being a queer person is that we should get to make our own rules. As a result of things like Section 28, we've grown up being told that we should fit into these heteronormative values. But for many people, like Connor, whose relationships aren't structured that way, this can still make sharing our truth difficult, even with those closest to us. My boyfriend and I are in an open relationship, but I was just like, oh, it's really gross. Like, I feel really gross. And he was like, oh, don't be silly. Like, of course not. I was just like, well, actually, no, he does think that. Rationally speaking, of course he doesn't think that. Of course, my parents and my friends who love me, like, they don't think that either. But definitely, like, you do put that on to other people, which is in some ways unfair to them because... They love us at the end of the day, like they're our friends, but it's still how we feel, which is, you know, it it does hark back to that, like, that gay shame. We're going to dig into this idea of shame specifically around sex a little later on. But when it comes to shame, it's important to not miss out the word that comes hand in hand with it. Stigma. You see, shame is something many of us have internalised, and that's often because of stigma which is placed upon us. During this monkeypox outbreak, we've seen a new type of stigma being presented. Social media has been a really important tool in many instances for the better in terms of informing people about monkeypox, sharing information where the government shamefully hasn't stepped in in terms of being able to access, access the vaccine. However, it's also been a platform that people have used to spread a lot of misinformation, and a lot of stigma and a lot of shaming attached to monkeypox. That's Liam Beatty, a former Terence Higgins Trust staffer who now works in campaigns for trade unions. There was a couple of photographs that were doing the rounds on social media in the last couple of weeks, and someone had taken photographs of uh, these two individuals, posted it on social media with speculation that they were being reckless because they had marks on their legs, which they took as a an, an, an immediate indication that these individuals had monkeypox. One of the people she was based in New York put a brilliant TikTok video up explaining that she has a skin condition and that this stigma and misinformation um, is deeply harmful, not only to um, the work to get people to get the monkeypox vaccine, but also people like myself with skin conditions. So I saw what was happening in other parts of the world. And my fear is that this could quite easily start seeping into the online discourse here in the UK, um, which can be toxic at the best of times, in particular monkeypox at the moment. So 
having lived with severe eczema all my life and the impact that it has on my mental health, I don't want to have that additional anxiety and fear about potentially being photographed and speculation about my health being shared online. As we talked about before, personal voices in these conversations are so important and hold so much power. That's why Liam decided to write an article for UK media outlet Metro. Often it's that internalized shame um, that people with skin conditions experience because we're told so often, just don't scratch. This is your own fault. This is your own doing. And that is internalized within us at so many occasions from friends, family, health professionals. As I got older and started to kind of navigate um, being an adult and, you know, being single and particularly within queer spaces, I'd often receive unwanted attention um, from people who would make comments and the appearance of of my face in particular. So having used steroid creams, which can really impact the what the skin looks like. It's a warm day here and I've I've I looked in the mirrors before I started this interview and I, I've kind of got quite a lot of marks on my on my on my face, which isn't sunburn, but often people will make remarks, oh you're very burnt, you're being very irresponsible. Um, you need to look after yourself much better. Um, and it's also impacted it's impacted my sex life. I talked about that in an article as well, that you know, I'd have um I'd be so fearful of waking up next to someone and then seeing spots of blood in the bed and just having to usher them out very quickly or worried about, oh gosh, I was potentially scratching on like what does this person think that I'm doing to myself um so I've experienced that throughout my whole life and um when I, what I'm now seeing with monkeypox is yeah that kind of real fear that people are going to use the opportunity to spread misinformation monkeypox is another opportunity is going to really impact my mental health and the mental health of others with skin conditions that frankly the main are really misunderstood at the best of times and it's being compounded even even further with monkeypox having people discuss your body and conditions you may have in a negative way is just awful. For me, one of the biggest fears of sharing my own story would be that I would be subjected to the same kind of online shaming that Liam spoke about. Liam talks about blame and people trying to assert this onto you, which when you're dealing with a condition can add such a heavy weight. And this is so clearly mirrored in what we're seeing with monkeypox. There has always been and there continues to be a real stigma attached to sex and and, and, and sexual health. Um, I think that it's, we've made so much progress, I think in particular around HIV and people celebrating the fact that they're testing for HIV, they're accessing PrEP, they're U equals U and detectable equals untransmittable. So there's a real kind of celebration and knowledge exchange on that. But I think within broader sexual health and in particular, on STIs, albeit monkeypox is not an STI, but it's predominantly being transmitted through sexual contact at the moment. Um, there's a real shame and stigma around that. Um, and I think even among queer, queer people, we're not very good at understanding and navigating and negotiating those conversations with one another. Um, so I think that it's been encouraging to see people sharing photographs and information about getting access to the monkeypox vaccine but it, I don't think it's at the same scale in which we've seen a dial shift in conversations about HIV, for example. Um, I really hope that discussions like this um, can help change that. Um, but I think that it taps into kind of a broader issue around the stigma and shame that we have around, around the sex we have and around our sexual health. And there it is again. Sex. It's kind of hard to avoid it in this conversation. So let's talk about it. Sex. After the break. 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We as queer men have been raised in a heteronormative, homophobic society. I mean, it goes back decades. Mark Thompson co-founder of Prepster. It's really hard for us to shake that off. And then I do think that we also have a generation who are the, the children and the grandchildren of the AIDS epidemic. And so you're, you're carrying all of those different pockets of shame and stigma associated with the sex that we have. I'm encouraged that this is a generation who are PrEP users, who understand U equals U, undetectable equals untransmittable, who have adopted HIV testing as something which is a real normal thing in their lives. So I think that there is a certain level of sex positivity in our community that we haven't seen for decades. But when you get something like monkeypox come in, I don't think that there's necessarily shame about the sex. It's a shame about and stigmatising attitudes about the amount of sex, who you're having that sex with and where you're having that sex. So we internalise some of these things because we've been taught to. But I think it's when we get incidents like monkeypox, like we did with COVID, that we start to kind of think, are we at fault here? Did we do something wrong? And we just revert back to that because it's really difficult to shake those things off. Mark highlighted two really important things there. PrEP, which stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis, which are antivirals you can take prior to sex, either daily or in an event-based way, that prevent HIV being transmitted. The other was U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. I cannot tell you the amount of times I have told my heterosexual friends about this, and they're shocked at what this means. When someone has HIV, they can take antivirals that decrease the viral load in the body of HIV to the point where it cannot be passed to anyone else, even when having sex without a condom. We started to get PrEP in 2012, and it slowly trickled in, and there was a massive backlash in the community, right? Like, why would you do that? Why would you have bareback sex? You're, you're fucking on the gravestones of your forefathers. All of these things I heard. And now we've moved to a point where, on the right side of history, you should be taking PrEP. It allows you to be liberated from the ghosts of the past. You can have the sex we are meant to be having 
which is free. And I think that that's what we do. We constantly go back rather than pausing. So when somebody does get monkeypox and they say, oh my gosh, I feel like I've let the side down or I'm reinforcing all these stigmatizing attitudes that I thought we got rid of. You're just internalizing all the messages and stuff that you've heard when all you've done is gone and had a good time and actually accidentally picked up a virus. And that's the thing. Sex is messy. Things happen. And in truth, if I'd known the risks of monkeypox at the time, maybe I would have been more cautious. Just like many sexually active queer men have been, now that information is getting out there. Especially after calls from sexual health experts to temporarily consider how many sexual contacts we have to slow down the spread. Then, of course, there is the readiness of so many in the community to get vaccinated. So much so, services have been overwhelmed. There is a short supply of vaccines. But on social media, the community has been great at sharing where they are available. All of this tells us a lot about how sexual health conscious we are in the queer community. But sex in any community or group of people has sexual health or other factors to consider. Here's Matthew Todd. Viruses are viruses. They're not a moral judgment. You know, it's, just, it's the same thing was happening with, with HIV and AIDS. I remember at the time, I remember people saying to me at school, well, you know, you know about it now. So if you don't use a condom, then you deserve to get it. And it's like, well, it's not as simple as that because no one is perfect, are they? It's very hard to always be perfectly well behaved and always use a condom. It's the same for straight people. If, if people were always, you know, doing exactly the right thing, then there'd be no unwanted pregnancies, would there? And there'd be no STIs ever in the world. We're all human beings. You know, we all make mistakes or, you know, we all have needs. It's a very complex kind of um, situation, isn't it? And that's the thing. We should 100% be taking care of ourselves and our sexual partners. But sex and the impacts it can have affect all sexually active people, not just LGBTQIA plus people. So even if monkeypox is primarily affecting sexually active gay, bi and queer men in the UK, we've got to remember this isn't the case in other countries where the outbreak is playing out in different ways. So, bigger picture for a second. Why is the discussion around sex different when it comes to queer people? We have assimilated in terms of we've come to get these rights, and the rights that have been given to us are equal marriage, it's adoption, rights in law, but we have only assimilated into these heteronorms, which are great, like some people want that, and that, of course, is absolutely fine. But also there are people who still want the kind of traditional like queer life. Maybe we want an open relationship. Maybe we don't want to be in a relationship and we just want to have sex with whoever we want. That's absolutely fine as well. But this argument that we should just stop having sex is never going to work because we are human beings. You wouldn't say to straight people, just just stop having sex because of gonorrhea or chlamydia, that this is not going to happen. We need an actual response that responds to who we are as human beings. Government and response seems to be like, we're going to keep our eyes and ears shut to this crisis. And you see on social media, you see in like articles in newspapers like why not just stop having sex in the same way like just shut queer saunas down or like gay saunas or cruising clubs or whatever that is a part of queer culture whereas actually 
all of the commercial spaces, be it like nightclubs or bars or whatever, we're happy for all of that to keep going. But as soon as it comes to the sex, that is when we have to shut it down because gay sex is somehow dirty, it's somehow wrong. And I think that all of this is coming to the fore again, which is what we saw in like HIV AIDS, which is why it's so raw to us as queer people, Um, especially those who actually went through HIV AIDS. Like, obviously, I'm too young to have even remembered that. But I can imagine why this emotion is so raw for those people. It must be the it must be scary in some ways to think that actually are we going back to that when we seem to have come so far? You can't divorce people from the sex that we have. When Connor talked about this, something hit home. When I came out as gay, I wasn't telling you I love share glitter and rainbows, <laughs> as true as all those things might be. But I was telling you I am a gay man. I will date other gay men. I will have sex with other gay men. But heteronormative acceptance of our sex lives seems to come with caveats and rules. You're gay, like, you must use a condom. Like, you must do this, you, you must do that. And it's like, well, actually, that's kind of taking away the lived experience of what sex is. Like, you can't just say, use a condom all the time. It's, yeah, we should be practicing safe sex in whatever form that comes, if you can, and so on and so forth. But actually, saying to gay men, you must always wear a condom, is just divorcing the reality of what sex is the point is that it's about a lived experience and just constantly drilling this whole like medicalized idea of gay sex because it is always gay sex that gets marginalized in this way it's not it doesn't seem to me like it's straight sex i just find it so frustrating and like we have prep now which is amazing of course it is and we have all of these great technologies but the the rhetoric around monkeypox and like gay sex it's like it it is quite concerning how as you said like you can have that kiss you can dance to lady gaga of a friday night but heaven forbid you actually engage in sexual relations with men right (laughs) for me i worked really hard to shrug this off and it's paying off but that doesn't mean that my relationship to sex has always been an easy one One of my first pieces of commissioned broadcasting was actually in this podcast parent show, Queer AF. The first episode I produced surrounded my body and my relationship to disordered eating. I've put a link in the show notes. But a year later, I produced something else that delved into my relationships. While recording, I had a breakthrough whilst chatting to the host of a gay and non-gay podcast, James Barr. I knew I wanted to talk about dating and sex and mental health, but I wasn't sure why I wanted to make that. And then while we're talking i realized for me it is the same conversation as what i did last year last year i opened up about food and my mental health in a way that i was punishing myself through food and body image in a really destructive way and when i look at sex and dating i kind of do the same thing and i guess as we're having this conversation i'm realizing that's probably why i wanted to make this it's kind of like a the next layer that i need to peel back and start to address that's really cool. Yeah. And I have to have helped. <laughs> so wait, am I a producer now as well? Yeah. You're going to get to contribute it. <laughs> After this was recorded, I did start to look at my relationship to the way I acted. Matthew Todd mentioned at the beginning of this episode 
about how issues with food and body image can be telltale signs of someone who's been through trauma as a result of shame. But sex and our own personal relationships can be too. You know, I'm someone, I've had a very busy, you know, sex life and I'm not ever going to be somebody who waves my finger and says, oh, you must do this or you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that or this is wrong or that's dangerous. It's very, very complicated. From my perspective, I know that there's been times in my life when I felt really bad about myself and I've been having sex in a way that isn't necessarily from the right reasons. It's been about kind of soothing anxiety or almost like an addictive kind of process where you're where you're not feeling very good good about yourself. And I think that's that's the thing. You know, you know, at what point is is your is one sexual behavior becoming a problem and causing you problems in other areas of your life? And only people in that position, only individual people can can make that judgment for, for themselves. It's not for other people to say it's wrong or or bad. It's just a case of is it making you feel good about yourself? Is it making you feel bad about yourself? If it's making you feel bad about yourself or getting you into trouble, that might be a time when you might want to look at it. Sometimes, you know, people are having sex through loneliness. It's a way of connecting or getting a connection with people. You know, it's it's quite hard if you're if you just want to make friends or make connections with other gay bi men, especially in cities like London, because sex is always this thing that kind of is there kind of kind of getting in the way sometimes. So these are very complex, difficult, sensitive questions that maybe we need to talk about a bit more and just see if we could find a way through it just to make our lives a bit better. When you are feeling lonely like this, there are things you can do. I think it's an individual thing. Uh, for me, I was drinking too much. So the first thing I really needed to do, although I didn't realise it at the time, was to stop drinking so that you can get into a more emotionally stable place. And just to have discussions about it. So there are various, you know, there are you know therapists you can see on the NHS. If you are lucky enough to be able to afford a private therapist, there are there are you know good LGBT therapists who can really help you go through some of this. And there are various kind of programs. There's a thing called um, the trauma program uh, that happens in various places, which is which I think can be quite good if you get a kind of uh, gay aware. Um, therapist, but I think all, all the all the basic things like looking after your mental health, eating properly, sleeping properly. I think if you're not feeling good about yourself, often the thing you do, and the thing certainly I did, and lots of people do, is you want to medicate those feelings. So you might be eating too much or drinking too much, or you know having sex in a way to medicate those feelings, going out all the time. If you want to deal with those feelings, you need to calm that down. You need to get a, a grip on that and make that manageable and and you know a bit more a bit safer, so that you so you are able to to look at what is causing those things. I thought my whole life had to revolve around just going out to bars and clubs and getting drunk and trying to cop off with people, trying to find find the love of my life, and it made me really really unhappy. It made it worse and worse and worse. When I stopped doing that, I started to feel better so it is complex but i think finding a sense of community is really really important the community that that isn't based just on uh sex so that it's about really engaging with people and our community is so diverse and if you're only talking to people and engaging with people that you find attractive if that's the motivating thing you lose out on so much because there's so many amazing people be be you know gay women trans people black people white people all different types of people different from different class different experiences just just you can just have a much richer life when you just kind of calm down slightly and start to address some of these issues if they are issues for you and if they're not issues for you that's great you know you have to decide for yourself what you want from your life 
One important theme that has come out in the wake of the monkeypox outbreak is how it can be a springboard to have these conversations and find out ways to heal. I think the key thing actually is community. Actually, I think that is it. That is it. It's a it's a key issue which can make people gay, straight, whatever feel bad about themselves. If you feel isolated, if you feel unconnected, if you feel like you can't be heard by people and you can't express yourself, that can really negatively impact people's mental health and make people feel lonely. So I think it's about just trying to engage with people uh, and, you know, just people that you can talk to and you can be yourself. And it's hard, isn't it? Because I think when I say that, I just think, you know, when I was coming out, even though I came out to my parents, you know, I didn't feel safe for a long time just being myself around them so i think it's it's just this 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 key thing about finding a, a place where you can you know talk to other people and i think therapy and is is such an such an important thing whether that's you know involves you getting sober if it's a drugs or alcohol thing i think that's the key thing but just just engaging with some of these ideas about self-esteem and finding kind of peace of mind and getting it you know like doing yoga or meditation and they're not i don't haven't done them so i'm not saying you have to be perfect and do these things but i think just engaging with that idea of of healthy living i think is is a really key important thing and just looking after yourself i think it all boils down to just feeling that you are worth it and that you're enough and that you are worth investing in in some of these things to make yourself feel better secrecy and denial of information back in the days of Section 28 and the silence surrounding monkeypox do feel oh so similar. There are parallels around queer sex, stigma and HIV. But these patterns don't reflect who you are or who I am. If you have monkeypox, you have nothing to feel bad about. And yes, I will say it many more times before we're done. Sex is great. Fun and can be amazing. What I've learned through all of this is that shame and stigma placed on me by others actually has no value. It's about my relationship to the sex I'm having, and that's empowering. The shame I feel isn't my fault, but I am the only one that can change it. And that's what I'm doing. On the next episode of What The Pox, I'll be speaking to Matthew Hodson and Susan Cole from Nam AIDS Map about why so much of this feels familiar to the HIV pandemic and what we can learn. I think some of the comparisons are quite challenging. The number of people who identify as LGBTQ plus has increased enormously since the 80s. So that changes the narrative. With thanks to today's voices, Matthew Todd, Liam Beatty, Connor Mackis, and Mark Thompson. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Martin Joseph, and executive produced by Jamie Wareham. What the Pox is a Queer AF production. And if you're enjoying the show, you should know. We're doing this because it counts, not for clicks. Which is why, if you think we've earned it, we'd love it if you could consider making the show possible with a Queer AF membership. Whatever you can give, big or small. It makes a huge difference to get the word out about this show. And putting it in front of those who need it most. It also gets you early access to episodes as soon as they're ready. You can listen ad-free, plus you'll get a newsletter that helps you understand LGBTQIA news every Saturday. Help us end the silence. Visit wearequeeraf.com forward slash whatthepox to find out more and read our monkeypox resources. That's wearequeeraf.com 
forward slash what the pox. We are Queer AF, and so are you. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 